Hello and welcome to this edition of Conversations. I'm Noah Epstein. And I'm Alessandra Varon. It's been one month since our last episode, so it's it's great to be back. Uh, how are you doing, Alessandra? I am tired. Noah, I did the 24-hour film challenge this past weekend, so I'm still pretty drained from that. And school's burning me out, and the United States is burning me out. <laughs> how are you? Well, I'm disappointed and excited. I'm disappointed because if you look outside, <laughs> it's it's usually, it's been so nice the weather the last like few weeks and now today it's like 50 degrees uh clouds in the sky chilly it's just it's 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 kind of disappointing i was i was looking forward to coming on the podcast today and talking about the weather and how how beautiful it is outside and then i look on my phone and it's it's not i don't know it's disappointing and i'm excited because it's my birthday wednesday oh my gosh yeah happy early birthday thank you i'm really really excited about that so i mean the weather i will say is definitely kind of somber enough to reflect what's going on in the country right now. Um, Unfortunately, we're going to have some very heavy topics that we're going to cover today on this podcast, such as how celebrity deaths in the media are covered, recent shootings in the U.S., and President Biden's first term. But first, we have Esau Green in the studio to talk about For the Culture, a magazine made in collaboration with Quinnipiac's Multicultural Student Council and the SGA. How are you, Esau? I'm good. How are you all? I'm super excited to be here. So what do you do as creative director of the magazine? Um, creative director for the magazine. Uh, you know, I helped with a lot of the formatting and the general ideas of like uh, what shots we were going to be taking, how things, you know, just, just the general layout and uh, ideas behind the magazine, like what we wanted to capture, what segments would be in the magazine, uh, reasoning behind the magazine, stuff like that. Do you want to talk a little more about the reasoning? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've been heavily involved. I used to be a part of student government. I was part of MSLC and like a few other orgs on campus. Um, and I think towards, you know, I'm heading towards my graduation I'm about what, like three, four weeks away now. I wanted to leave an impact and a legacy, but not just for myself, but for like students who like, you know, would come after me to be able to like see themselves and feel a sense of pride in the community. Um, for the Culture magazine is meant to highlight the un- quote-unquote unspoken heroes on campus. Um, a lot of the times, uh, marginalized groups of students, specifically like members of like um, different cultural groups or like uh, gender sexuality groups, you know, kind of feel left out um, of a campus or Bobcat community voice. So I wanted to do something that allowed them to have a platform and allowed them to like showcase who they were in their own way while also having like a creative effect where, you know, students can engage with these different groups of students and uh, learn more about them. But it's also like cool, it's creative, it's eye-catching. And I thought that would be like powerful. Yeah, the magazine is seriously gorgeous. From oh, the minute I you. saw that the cover photo posted on social media, oh. I was like, I cannot wait for oh, this. Appreciate it. I'm really huge on aesthetics, so. Yeah, <laughs> it shows. It really shows. So how much work did you put into For the Culture magazine? This <laughs> <laughs> so much work. Uh, I think that was one thing we all talked about. Shout out to like some other people on the board. You know, CJ, Dan, Cody, TJ, um, Jay Sean, like. Derek, a bunch of people. I know I'm not going to be able to say everybody's name, but um, like ton, like hours and hours. Like we would have weekly meetings just like every Wednesday for an hour, but like different groups of us would meet um, sometimes just at my house for like three to four hours like at a time. So that and like we're regular students that have jobs and everything, too. So and I was doing a play at the time. So we'd meet from like 12 to like 4 a.m. sometimes to really plan things out and hash everything out, make things like we were really detail oriented. Um, so yeah, at least I, I couldn't calculate it off the top of my head, but like over a hundred hours probably went into this magazine. Yeah. That is wow. incredible. I do not recall the last time I was up till 4 a.m. just planning something. Yeah. 
Um, how does it feel now that the first edition's been released? I can breathe again. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's 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 groundbreaking. I think, you know, being a part of these communities myself, like I had a general idea of what the reaction would mean or what would it be, and um, I think it was pretty well received. But then again, like this magazine was meant to highlight people, quote unquote, in the culture. So like I I knew they would like it. You know, they're part of it. But um, I think even like getting the general um feedback from like like average QU students or like the broader QU community showed me like how deep it was. Um, like President Olian asked for like five copies, like like different administrators were asking for copies, faculty, staff members. I've gotten like a ton of emails from different professors talking about it. So um I'm I don't know, I'm I'm humbled and excited to see like what comes next because you know, this this shows like, you know, we took a step in the right direction. It was a random thought, you know, I had with a, one of my friends. And we kind of just made everything from scratch and went along with it. So, so twenty-one percent of QU first-year students identify as students of color. Mm -hmm. So, how important is it to release content like for the culture? Um, I think it's super important. Um, it it kind of gives people a voice and it gives people a sense of community. I think when we think of things such as like um, our, our retention rates, where we have like students who leave and never come back to school, or you know, we're checking things like that. A lot of the times, like. I have friends who talk about like not seeing themselves or feeling comfortable in a lot of these spaces because they don't feel like the school, you know, is meant meant for them. And to be honest, it's not. Um, it's a PWI. There's not a lot of things that kind of attract or like you know, allow students to you know to feel a sense of self. So um, I don't know things like for the culture, like I something else I do like the cut, um, helps give you know people a space to be seen and accepted and just to be themselves and exist while also like, you know, feeling a sense of value, at least I believe and hope, hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm doing that justice. Yeah, I, it looks like it. I mean, this is, I just, I cannot sing the praises of this magazine enough. I, oh, I got a chance yesterday to really like dive into it and, mm -hmm. and read it through. And it was just really awesome to learn about like the different personalities mm -hmm. and, and students that we have on campus who I've always seen around, but never really gotten to know just being a film major in the same classes with the same people yeah. for the most part for for the past three years um but you mentioned earlier um that there are things in store in the future yeah. you're graduating but do you but, guys have anything planned yeah you know the plan always said to do it for the culture so uh there's a uh, three of us from the magazine like committee quote unquote are graduating those are the people in the back of the magazine so the plan is to have like a magazine actual board going forward in coalition of uh, qu culture uh, they do like the new we, uh, weekly newsletter. They're making the website right now um, to have members, you know, join the board and be on it for a year to then take it over after we graduate. So, yeah, there's a bunch of issues, you know, hopefully I see in the near future. Um, I can't. There's one uh, next year one, you know, be on the lookout. It's going to be great. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot, a lot of new content to come. I'm really looking forward to reading about oh, it. Thank Same. You. More on the aesthetic kind of end. <laughs> yeah. How did you determine what the look of the magazine was going to be. Mm. It is just, it's so concise and yeah. so just consistent throughout. I'm wondering more about that. That, big shout out to my guy, Connor, graphic designer. I, I think he was part of, um, I don't know if he's part of the Chronicle or like, I, I forgot what he's part of specifically. But there was a lot of conversations with him. And again, those are like those late night, you know, uh, <laughs> late night meetings where we were just like, we're placing things around and we just wanted things to like one flow like really well um and we just a uh, big shout out to our photographers too dan and cj 
where we had a lot to work with. So it just kind of made it um it made it possible. But I, I had like an idea about how things would correlate. So for instance, like like what would keep people's interest long enough to like then be okay with like sinking to the next thing. So if like for instance, like if we're going through like clubs and organizations, that's a big way to like, you know, kind of show the representation around campus and then highlight people you'll probably see later in the magazine. And then we pick up and we hit something that's a little more serious. Maybe we might start talking about like activism or the individual like stories of students. So like, you know, you're not just getting the flair, but you're also, you know, you're also getting something that's more in depth. So again, yeah, it was just a lot of communication back and forth between the members on the board. And then just, you know, trying to stick to some sense of a creative plan. Like there's a lot of like Easter egg things in there that you people wouldn't understand unless they were like in those rooms at the time. But yeah. That's really interesting. I'm a sucker for Easter eggs, so it's, it's <laughs> just really sweet to hear you guys have those in there. Yeah. So was all the work worth it? <laughs> yeah, nah, everything. I don't know. I, I really try hard not to do things I don't believe in. So um, I think, I think yeah, you know, seeing how well received, like I'm here now, you know, being on a podcast with you, you two. So I think in the end, like, you know, people thought it was something cool, something different. And, um, you know, I'm just happy to be able to be a part of it. Yeah. Well, thank Thanks. you so much, Esau, for joining us. Oh, no, thank and you for having me. For putting the effort into for the culture and, and <laughs> helping to create a new initiative here at school. It's already showing its value, so I can't wait to see what happens in the future. Well, thank you. Thank you for taking your time to you know talk to me. I appreciate that a lot. Anytime. Going off that, when you're in the media, it's important to release news accurately, whatever that news may be. Recently, we've seen many examples of the media releasing news of celebrities dying, and they aren't also accurate. What's your take on how celebrity deaths are handled in the media? In one word, poorly. They're handled poorly. Um, I think the biggest issue, of course, it's a current event and it's relevant and important to a lot of people um, when these idols that they have are are passing away, whether it's, you know, whether they're dying of old age or, or something tragic is happening. It's important to know for people. And I understand that. However, I think the issue is um, a lot of um, news stations and like news outlets are not reporting to report the news. They're reporting to be the first one who gets the story out. It's for the clicks um, and for the engagement instead of in a way that is respectful of the deceased and their family. And we see that with DMX um, this past week and earlier this year, uh, Tanya Roberts, who was an actress on that 70s show, they were both falsely announced their deaths and then later again confirmed. It's like, forcing people to endure a trauma multiple times. And in addition, forcing the family to go through an extra layer of um, of trauma and of emotional kind of despair in that situation. So I'm not pleased. Yeah, me neither. I remember when, um, when Kobe Bryant passed away uh, last year. I remember thinking I saw the TMZ article come out and I remember thinking, like, is this real? Like, TMZ is not the most reliable source. It's also, like, really quickly. There's no other sources. It's it's really just this one. And um, I know the the police were really upset um, because, as you said, they they haven't even they hadn't even notified the families yet. And like you said, that was like disrespectful. So that's why you're really upset about that. Um, there were also like with with the Kobe Bryant situation, there were a lot of different reports. Like one story said that. None of his kids were with him on the helicopter. Another story said that all of his kids were with him on the helicopter, and there were many like corroborating reports. Um, and as you mentioned, like this past week with uh, DMX, he was in a coma after an overdose, and 
he was in um, a vegetative state for a while, but a lot, there were reports that were saying that he had passed away. And there, it was all over Twitter. It was the RIP DMX was all over Twitter. That's all I could see. <laughs> and as you mentioned, it's almost like it's a race to see who can get the story out first, not actually if it's it's accurate or not. Like they care more about getting the story out, whether it's true that that person passed away. So I agree that it's really um, disrespectful. Yeah, I think uh, if it were up to me, which clearly it isn't, the general rule would be you can't report on a death of a celebrity until the family says something. Because in my mind, it's like I can't even imagine how many families have found out about the death of a loved one through the news. And that doesn't even just go for celebrities. There was uh, an incident in my town a couple of years ago where a man got hit by a train. And I'm really good friends with his nieces. And they found out in school when they were talking about current events. And they were like, wait a second, that's my uncle. And so multiply that you know, by millions, you have all of these people talking about the death of your loved one. You didn't even know. And now some person in, you know, Kalamazoo is talking about it. It's not okay at all. It's really insensitive and really disrespectful. I can't imagine what was going through her head just hearing in, about current news about her uncle passing away. That's just, that's, that's tragic. Yesterday, Dante Wright was shot and killed by a police officer in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, which is only 10 miles from where the trial for George Floyd's murder is still going on. What's your reaction to this devastating news? God, uh, anger, sadness, and a bunch more anger. Um, this is unfortunately not at all shocking to me, um, but like so many incidents that involve police officer gun violence and and murder of civilians. It was extremely preventable. And I'm just so upset on behalf of Dante Wright, on behalf of his family and the entire black community and just the population of the United States. We all deserve better than this, than a country that this stuff happens so, so often. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's always a conversation that's had, which is good and bad it's good because we know that it's a problem but it's so bad because it happens so often that we're always talking about this i mean the, like like there are bad apples in every in every position every situation there's always oh there's some bad apples but like you can't afford to have bad apples as police officers when you have that kind of power and authority uh you see these incidents where it's abused and it's just it's it's not right and specifically there have been abused in racist ways towards african americans um, and then everyone says like, oh, obviously no looting, no rioting, peaceful protests. And, uh, I agree with that, but like peaceful protests aren't, aren't doing enough as, as it literally just yeah. happened again. So, I mean, yeah, I'm of the opinion that of course, like peaceful protesting is the way to go until nothing happens for decades and decades and decades. What people don't talk about is the fact that with every successful social movement, change has been made based on a combination of peaceful protest and violent protest because violence gets oppressors to listen. And I am not an advocate for violent action, 
but I do understand where it comes from. If I was sitting here every single day fearing for my life, my family's life, my friends' lives, like just because of the color of our skin, I'd be breaking windows too. And I'm not saying they should. I'm just saying that it is so not the problem. Looting is not, I don't want to hear about looting. I don't want to hear anyone being angry about it because someone is dead. Someone else is dead. And that's the issue. Joe Biden talking about how, oh, there's no justification for violence. Can we tell that to the police officers then? Why are we talking about shop windows being broken and things being stolen? Because as far as I'm concerned, unless it's a family business, I don't care. Every product that can be purchased is replaceable. No human being is. My opinion is like, um, you're right about how obviously a human life can't be replaced in an object can and all. I just don't think that violence is the answer. I don't think that like uh, smashing windows and, and breaking into places and, and violently uh, acting violently is going to solve the problem. Like if you're looking to solve the problem, I don't think violence is going to do it. And I don't think violence is okay like ever so that's just that's just my take on it yeah i mean that's definitely fair and again like i'm not trying to advocate for like any kind of violence especially not toward like people if people are getting hurt that's a different issue that takes it to another level but honestly in my opinion like breaking windows and things like that that's not even violence that's just aggression aggression to property like i don't know why violence is even the term used for that because i feel like that just implies that it's person to person there have been people that are that are hurt at like peaceful protests gone wrong i mean yeah i I haven't heard of any in minneapolis or in like brooklyn center this time at least um i don't think anyone should put their hands on another person in really any circumstance and that especially applies to law enforcement i mean i only watched the video of the the murder because I knew we were going to be talking about it. Otherwise, I try not to watch those. I just, ugh, they make my skin crawl. Um, but you saw it. It's like one 20-year-old kid. I'm 20. That's someone who I could have, who could have been sitting in class next to me yesterday. And three police officers. Not only did they not need to shoot him, but they didn't need to tase him either accidentally shooting someone instead of tasing them to me is not an excuse and if this officer doesn't get fired then that's just some ridiculousness because people get fired from their jobs for things way less severe than killing a person and like i mentioned before the trial for george floyd's murder is happening still going on and it's happening only 10 miles away from where this happened so i mean it's just the awareness the awareness is there just gotta change got change has to happen now yeah i could not agree more change has to happen 150 years ago i mean it's just i cannot imagine just what it is like to be in within that community a in that state right now b because there is just so much animosity and so much danger for people of color specifically black people that I just like just my heart seriously like goes out to every single person who doesn't feel safe like walking down the street because of their skin color I mean and maybe that sounds patronizing I don't mean it in that way 
um it's just it just frustrates me and it saddens me to my core and right now in 2021 we should not be seeing things like this happening i mean dante right george floyd the the officer who was um who was pepper sprayed for for what reason or the army lieutenant uh rather who was pepper sprayed for literally no reason um at a traffic stop it just every day there's something new um and it's just it's so disheartening and it's so depressing and i just wanted to end yeah there are a lot of uh, i know there are a lot of professional athletes who are refusing to play tonight because of what happened and even in, in Minnesota, the, the Red Sox Twins game was postponed. The Nets Timberwolves game was postponed because a lot of people just want to step away from sports and focus on what the the major thing that's going on. Yeah, and um, you bringing up the the Derek Chauvin trial going on in the same area as this other um, this other murder, it's like I I understand even more why people are getting so rowdy in their anger. And again, I'm not like I'm not saying like good for them for looting places. I don't think that it's okay. But I'm also like trying not to be judgmental because look at everything that's happening right there. How could people not be angry? I mean, it's like I have a sister who's really close in age to me. And sometimes when we were younger, we'd get so mad at each other that we would like physically fight each other. And I know that a lot of kids do that. It's like someone says something wrong to you and it triggers an act of violence. So when your own people are being murdered for no reason and you're going to throw a rock through a window and you're going to steal some little Caesars, like, yeah, that makes total sense based on how humans are kind of biologically built to react to things. Um Frankly, it's not my concern until it's a family-owned business, a small business, or a human being gets hurt. Um, I just, I can't imagine what it's like to be in Minnesota right now. So remaining on the topic of gun violence, today, yesterday, and pretty much every other day in the last few years, there's been a mass shooting in the United States. Um, to clarify for, you know, definitive purposes, a mass shooting is a gun violence incident with multiple victims. Um, the Broad definition doesn't go any more specific than that. There are varying opinions on it. But according to the Gun Violence Archive, there have been 140 mass shootings in the United States in 2021 as of yesterday, which was April 11th, 22 of which have happened in the last 11 days, so in the month of April. And this does not include the school shooting in Knoxville, Tennessee, that happened literally this afternoon. Yeah, there have been a lot of mass shootings recently, as you said. There there's one in Bryan, Texas, one in Orange, California, one in Rocky Hill, South Carolina. They all happened really recently. Um, in 2021, almost 150 people have died and almost 500 wounded through the month of March. That's not even counting this month of April. And a lot more mass shootings have happened, as you said, 22 in the last 11 days. Um, and last week, the the Rocky Hill, South Carolina one was an ex-NFL player uh, Philip Adams killed five people and then himself, and now his brain's being uh, uh, scanned for if, if he had CTE or not. And a lot of the times when it comes to mass shootings, you see that mental illness is very common. Yeah, I think that that's a very uh, careful point to be made because, I mean, I would just like to clarify that mass shootings are not like caused by mental illness like of course like if you're going to kill somebody there is something wrong with you 
However, statistically, mentally ill people are more likely to be victims of gun violence than they are to be perpetrators. So I think that's important to remember in this conversation. Yeah, very. Um, the, but mass shootings, they've been going on for years. It's not just its not just recently, obviously. So how do you think we solve this problem? I think it's really a matter of restricting who can get guns, what kind of guns they can get. Like It's as simple as like passing legislation that will help to minimize the issue. And yes, people are not wrong when they say, oh, someone will get their hands on a gun if they really want one. Sure, but why are we making it easy for them? Why are we just going to be like, oh, yeah, sure. Like, you want a gun? You want a thing that was specifically built to murder another person to take a life? Yeah, you can have that. And I understand that people have hobbies, shooting for sport, whether it's at a range or, or if it's hunting or whatever it is. And it also varies kind of state by state what the culture is. I mean, I'm from Massachusetts. Not a lot of people have guns, go hunting. I have friends in Vermont who do it all the time. Um, and it's weird to not go hunting. They were like, oh, you've never been? That's that's so crazy. Um, so I understand that there are regional differences and, and that each state has different needs and you know so on and so forth. But I don't know about you. If it was between my hobby and a person's life, I'd find a new hobby. I agree. I, I could not agree more with you. I, I just think... And this might sound weird because we've grown accustomed to where you're 20, I'm going to be 20 in two days. Like we've we've grown accustomed to guns and like since our childhood, obviously, just knowing what they are, all that. I just when I think about it, I just f still find it crazy that that there's something that could literally just like with the pull of a trigger, just end someone's life. And I'm not, obviously I'm not saying like police shouldn't have guns or, or just like uh, the army, like obviously when you're. When you're high up enough, they have their time and place. Exactly, they have their time and place. But with a with a right regular, everyday human being, I just I not equipped with that responsibility of being like a police officer, or someone of that caliber. I just I just find it crazy how they're allowed to have that kind of a weapon. And then the defending argument is always, oh, what if you need it for protection? What if someone comes into your house trying to to uh, murder use some anything along the lines of that to which i say well if they didn't have a gun it would be a lot harder for them to to do any damage right, right? if they don't have a gun you don't need one either that's yeah um uh yeah i mean i'm of the opinion especially you know due to the kind of mass amounts of police violence toward civilians we were talking about um i'm of the opinion that not all officers should be armed i think there should be a hierarchy um, I know I know a lot about the law enforcement system in Japan. I, I did a project on it for a Japanese culture class, and there are very few um, kind of sectors of uh, law enforcement officials who have the the privilege and the responsibility of carrying guns. And in 2018 or 2019, I think it was a total of two people killed by police officers. Um, and I think one of them was another police officer killed by his partner. Um, I would have to double check on my research for that. But from what I recall, that was the case. Um, so, yeah, but I, I do agree. I think it's insane how normalized it is for us. Um, there was a moment that I 
experienced about a month and a half ago. I was surprising a friend. She's turning 21, my best friend. Um, I went home to see her. Uh, we all got COVID tested beforehand. It was safe. And her little sister was there and we were all hiding in the corner waiting for her to come home. Um, and she was like, this 11-year-old girl said, oh, this is just like in school when we do the the drills for when the person comes in school with a gun. And my brain just stopped functioning. I was like, this kid's 11. Are you kidding me? And that's what you're thinking when we're huddled in the corner to surprise your sister for her birthday? That's so scary. Exactly. Like, what kind of world are we living in where, like, our children are so aware of these threats? I mean, like, I'm just thinking about it. And in 2020, our, the year of the plague, everyone was inside all year unless they were stupid and careless and selfish then they were outside doing whatever they wanted but for the most part people were indoors all year schools were not in session in person for most of the year and there were still according to usa today over 600 mass shootings yeah there weren't as many school shootings because no one was in school but there were still so many mass shootings multiple victims in all of these circumstances over 500 deaths over 2500 injuries what are we doing? What are we doing where it has never been enough? What are we doing where Columbine wasn't enough? Where Sandy Hook wasn't enough? Why are we still having this same conversation after 20, 30 years? I just don't get it. I don't either. Also, I don't know. This kind of adds on to what we were saying before, but I'm just going to say it. I know that some people out there think that like teachers should be armed with guns. And I just want to say that is an awful idea. And yeah, that's all I have to say. On that. I could not agree more. Could not agree with that. Okay, yeah. Just wanted to say that. Um, and most teachers I know are, are of that same opinion. I just I think about some of the teachers that I had uh, throughout <laughs> school. And I'm like, if this individual had a gun, oh, my God, I would have dropped out. Like, they probably would have killed me. What the heck? Like. What makes teachers so special that they're not going to up and shoot up the place? Hello? Um, yeah, no one is exempt from being murderous, I guess. Um, so I do agree with you there. Yeah, I just... Part of me with everything that's going on in our country, everything that's been going on in our country, I just want to kind of wipe the entire federal government clean and start from scratch because there is just so much inaction and so much lack of care and just dawdling when there should be action um it really really frustrates me and i know that there are people who do care and people who do do their best but i'd exchange them for a, a full <laughs> congress of people who do their best and care and you know a full executive branch of those people so you mentioned elected officials so president biden says that he's trying to limit ghost guns to make it easier to flag family members who shouldn't be allowed to purchase firearms last week because of the mass shooting incidents recently. So what do you think of this action and of Biden's first term as president in general? Yeah, so unlike my opinion of most things Joe Biden has done so far, I think that's a good idea. Um, ghost guns are a huge issue, and I think that the more we can kind of crack down on these um, weapons that are kind of circulating with no real... Um, I guess, monitoring, uh, official monitoring, then the safer that we'll all be. 
um, in terms of his first term overall, um, I am unsurprisingly disappointed. Good things have happened, yeah, but overall it just feels like a whole lot of nothing. And while it is kind of nice to not see headlines every single day, whenever I do decide to see, oh, what's Joe Biden up to? Like, what's what's the administration doing? Which is semi-frequently. It's just, are you kidding me? Really? Um, there are still kids in cages. The border wall is still, you know, up in the air for construction. And just not a lot has happened. I feel like there there has not been enough legislation where it's like, finally. And even his reaction, um, like I mentioned earlier, to the Dante Wright situation, it's just disappointing. Um, it's like if you take Obama and, you know, put some drops of Reagan in there. Like, that's what I feel like Joe Biden is. It's just, he irritates me. And I cannot wait for someone else to be the president. Yes, his exact reaction to uh, the Dante Wright situation, as you were saying, was that he, it was a video on Twitter that I saw at least. And he was saying that it was still not sure, he was still not sure if uh, the incident was done on purpose or by accident. And there should be no looting only peaceful protests. That was his statement that he gave. Yeah. I don't even know why he has to mention if it's on purpose or accident. I don't care if it's an accident. Someone died. Put them in jail. Put the put the perpetrator in jail. Um, Joe Biden just, I think, is trying to play mediator right now, but still appeal as much as he can to like white liberals so that they don't get mad that he's not actually making real change. Um because in the heart of it all, Joe Biden is a centrist, so we know that like not a lot is going to happen. I mean, we have a completely democratically dominated legislative branch, and what has happened? Literally nothing. So if when we have the Biden-Harris administration in the White House, Democratic Senate, Democratic House of Representatives, if things aren't happening now, when are they going to happen? I mean, yeah, I'm just holding out hope that the next generation of leaders, you know, people from our generation um, are really going to grab this bull, this bull being America, by the horns and just making the changes that we've needed to see since before we were even born. That's my thought on the matter. And that'll do it for our show. Thanks for tuning in. Special thanks to Esau Green for coming in and talking to us. We'll catch you next time.